episode four and in today's episode we'll dive into chapters 29 through 34 of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. As a reminder this podcast is not for little ears because (laughs) even though we have absolutely zero sexy times to discuss in this episode we're at a point in the story that uh things get violent and gruesome. Gory. Yeah gory. (laughs) So with that in mind Let's start. <laughs> okay. After you, my friend. Okay. So chapter 29. As a quick reminder, last episode, Farrah was sent back to the human lands by Tamlin. She has now arrived at her family's new estate, courtesy of the help and glamours of Tamlin. And now she's at the top of this chapter talking with Elaine and their father. And they're going through the trunks that she bought, brought back with her. And they think these things are all from Aunt Ripley's estate. So now they're opening the trunks and Fair is realizing that it's not just full of things like clothes, but some of them are full of like valuables, like uncut jewels and gems, (laughs) which is a lot, again, courtesy Mm -hmm. of Tamlin. I mean, he tried, you got to give him credit. He like tried to take care of this family and then some. (laughs) No shit. I mean, he sent her back with like... A, a kingdom's ransom of jewels he really does so their father is like takes these trunks and starts inventorying all the items in them and Farah notices that he seems to be doing a lot better like healthier so apparently <laughs> according to elaine uh some man came by some doctor some traveling doctor came by and gave their father a tonic and suddenly he's doing better so thanks, Tam. I'm sorry. Thanks, Tam. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Farah knows that Tam was up to something. Uh, so yep, she yep. says that uh, you know she's looking at her dad and she's describing him as clear-eyed and that he's moving with a sense of purpose and vibrancy. And this is something that she hadn't seen before. She says that even his limp was improved, made miraculously better by some tonic and a salve some strange passing healer had given him for free. I would have been forever grateful to Tamlin for that kindness alone. And I was like, aw, that's cute. He really did go all out. <laughs> I just, it makes you kind of go, couldn't you have at least told her sooner? Well, like, right? Dude. Yeah, we come back to that over and over again. The fact that like the <laughs> communication is just, <laughs> it's just atrocious. Sorry. What? What? Commu- communication what? Yeah, there was none is the answer. (laughs) So dad's counting the jewels. And Elaine takes uh, to talking with Farah basically all day, every day in her garden. This is how we spend our time now. And Elaine is babbling on about wanting to travel and see things like some island that their father told them about that has like tulip gardens, you know, side to side and all these things. And she invites Sparrow along, saying that she thinks if they were to travel, that they would have so much fun together. The way it's described, you like get this wild image of like Holland. Yes, I was like, so Holland, but you decided that these are magical fairylands and there's no Europe, so you couldn't say that. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's all I could think of. <laughs> What's Holland? I literally almost wrote that in my notes and it was like, wait, 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 it's not Holland. 
no, but like that's all I can think. Like, cause you know they have those pictures of Holland in the spring. Yes. The windmills and these mm-hmm. fields among fields among fields of tulips, and that's like all I could think of when Elaine talks about that. I'm like, oh, I okay, think, go to Holland, enjoy. Yeah, I think that is what we're talking about. <laughs> but anyway, kind of hard. Yeah, she's kind of enjoying this idea, and she asks, you know, Elaine. Oh, you know, that would be great, but wouldn't you be sad to miss the next season? And Regency fans, uh, you know, romance, Regency, all that, you, you know what Woo-hoo. we mean, you know, the party season. <laughs> I mean, all the young ladies meet all the eligible boys, and we have pairs that pair off and get engaged and married, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mating season for wealthy people. <laughs> so anyway, wouldn't you be sad to miss the mating season of the wealthy people? <laughs> And Elaine says she wouldn't mind missing one season. And, you know, she was already feeling kind of awkward this previous season because they had been out of these social circles for so long that upon their return, you know, now that they had money from, you know, wherever they think they got it, (laughs) uh, you know, she says that like coming back was super awkward because they knew what they had been through living in their cottage and everybody else is just acting like they've been sick or something. (laughs) They're like, oh, it's good to see you back. And they've been gone for eight years. And everybody's just acting like they've been gone for like 10 minutes. So apparently it was just really uncomfortable. And she mentions that Nesta didn't even finish last season. She says she wouldn't tell me why. She began refusing every invitation. She hardly talks to anyone. And I feel wretched when my friends pay a visit because she makes them feel so uncomfortable. And so I can see why Elaine's not really worried about missing that. Uh, on the subject of Nesta and Elaine, or I guess, yes, I guess I should say, now on the subject of Nesta, Elaine makes what she thinks is a nothing remark. She says, she left to visit you, you know. Blink. Feyre's like, what? (laughs) Blink, blink, blink. And she says, well, she was only gone about a week and she said that her carriage broke down not halfway there and it was easier to come back but you wouldn't know since you never got any of our letters and like all of us Farrah knows this can't be good <laughs> no. we don't know no, no, no. we don't know what it means but we know something about that glamour tam did didn't work quite to its original plan at least not with Nesta. Yeah, because Nesta probably wasn't supposed to go look for Aunt Ripley. So this is awkward. So we just kind of <laughs> let that, yeah, it's just awkward. So we just like let that sit for a minute. And Elaine continues and says that she thinks that Farah seems different now, you know, like more vibrant, you know, more alive, mm. like she's been eating, which is good. <laughs> and she asks if something happened at Aunt Ripley's house, like meeting a man. <laughs> And Farrah's just Sorry. like, uh, let's talk about anything else. <laughs> but. So now the days are passing oh. slowly. Very, very, very slowly. <laughs> yeah, she just like changes the subject and this is how we spend our time now is just like awkwardly avoiding conversation for like days. And <laughs> Farrah still isn't feeling particularly great about any of this. Like she still doesn't want to paint. She still feels this weird, like, sense of doom. 
and she decides like i'm gonna try to do something to make myself feel better so she like exchanges a handful of those jewels for money and then she like puts the money into like individual little baggies and heads out into the cottage area that they used to live in and she's thinking like oh this will feel good i'm gonna like go give some of this money away to some of these poor families we used to know which I think is a sweet thought and I think I get what she's trying to do here you know sometimes like if you do good you'll feel good <laughs> but instead it mostly just makes her feel weird well it doesn't help that a lot of the families aren't they really just they kind of fight her on it and she's like look just take the money I swear to god it's not a problem take the money well and some don't even it. recognize her well yeah there is that how do yeah. you not what I don't know. Yeah, so it's I don't just know. kind of uncomfortable. Mostly, though, I mean, she says that most of the families, though, eventually do take the money. And some don't right. even ask and just straight up take it and, like, don't recognize her. And she's like, whatever, that's great. But she does stop at their old cottage. And I think it's really interesting. One of the things she says, like, in her internal monologue while she's there, she says that you know, when she's been talking with Elaine and, you know, talk, especially when she's talking to Elaine about that whole, you know, coming out season, the party, all of that. And Elaine said that during that time, things felt so awkward. She kind of missed their cottage. And so now she's standing there, she's looking at it and she says, Elaine had said she missed it. And I wondered what she saw when she looked at the cottage, if she beheld not a prison, but a shelter, a shelter from a world that had possessed so little good, but she tried to find it anyway. Even if it had seemed foolish and useless to me, she had looked at that cottage with hope. I had looked at it with nothing but hatred, and I knew which one of us had been stronger. Yeah. Gosh, that's kind of telling, because this whole time we're all like, Elaine's just kind of like fluff. She's like, yeah, she seems she's like, like a, a little fluffy bunny rabbit. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. But maybe she's not. Well, and I think it calls back to early on in the book, Remember when her father kept saying that they all needed hope and Farah kept saying like she didn't believe in that, she didn't have any. Right. And, and I think kind of Nesta falls somewhere in between, but I think Elaine is most like their father. She's good. She's just a genuinely like you want to hug a good person. I don't know. I, and I know a lot of people don't like Elaine. Like they don't like her from the beginning. And I'll be honest, it doesn't get better throughout the books. People really don't like her. <laughs> yeah, people really don't like her later. And I, I think, and this is why it's like everybody's like, who's read the series and is at a certain point? And if you're not, I, I won't give you away spoilers, but people are like, oh, well, I don't want to read a book about Elaine. I, I right. do. Because I really think, based off of this, based off of what we find out about Elaine from the very beginning and the kind of person she is, and after you see everything she's gone through, I want Elaine's story because there's something there. Yeah. She's kind of like the most mysterious in a way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. And I think this chapter does a good job of like giving us more Elaine because we didn't have much Elaine at the beginning of this book. We had a little more about like Nesta and their dad. And now we've got a little more about Elaine. True. True. I think the other thing that's interesting about this moment is what Feyre, I think, probably gets out of it when she's realizing, you know, how strong it actually had made Elaine to hope. She's kind of realizing, at least this is how I took it, and I mean, to be fair, this is my second time reading it, and this is, you know, now we're talking about it, so I think a lot harder. <laughs> so maybe I'm reading into it too much. But I think she's also thinking about how she's realizing now 
how much her lack of hope made her make decisions the way she has to this point. Like, I think she's starting to wonder if a lack of hope is also what made Tamlin the way he is, kind of like it makes her the way she is. You know, that's a good, that's a good thought. I mean, Like, do you think they could have both made better decisions if either of them had had any hope? Like, is part of their communication issue the fact that neither of them see any hope in the situation, so they just don't even bother? Yeah. I mean, that definitely, that definitely could be it. His situation's a little different. Well, no, it's a lot different. But It's a lot different, but we'll, we'll actually, we actually get to that in this episode, and we actually do know for a fact that he lacked hope in the situation for, what, 48 of 49 years <laughs> yeah well 48 and a half really yeah I 48 mean, and a half of 49 years and then also in like the last three days anyway i digress we'll get there <laughs> so i mean yeah no i and i totally get that and and i agree yes he does lack hope and i think that does affect his decisions his reason for lacking hope is very different than hers i mean oh sure. she just she was just trying to survive literally she was hand to mouth day to day trying to survive and i think that affects your hope very differently and how you respond to things than than otherwise it was just interesting to me because i think it probably struck her in that moment the fact that like people who think a situation is hopeless don't tend to take action true and we i would agree see with that, her mull over this for like the next two chapters no, you're right. And that I would totally agree Yeah. With. And I, I think he's totally the same way in, in some respects that there were things he could have done, but he didn't see the point because he thought it was hopeless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So totally. anyway, that's the awkward place where we just end 29 is she's kind of looking at this cat cottage like, oh, wow. Hmm. Elaine had a point there. <laughs> yep. So now we are on to chapter 30. She's walking around. They're walking around town, and she overhears Thomas Mandre and his cronies talking about some cottage that recently burned up with a whole family inside. Not thinking much of it, other than the fact that that sounds sad and that's a tragedy. She just moves right on. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, Farrah and I are so not the same person. I would have been like, do tell me more, but that's because I listened to a lot of like, crime yeah, podcasts. I want to know. What are the deets, man? Tell me the deets on this. Yeah, like it's morbid, but I really like like my true crime podcast. So I'd have been like all up in Thomas's face, like, give me the deets. I'm just curious. I just want to know. <laughs> Mine's not even morbid. Mine's like, so what happened? Just right. Satisfying curiosity, man. I just, yeah, it's not morbidity. I just, I like knowing things. What? Me too. Okay, that makes me feel better. But anyway, Farah is not like that. And she just keeps walking. Uh, and then before making it home, she runs into Isaac and his new wife. And Ooh. I know. And that's interesting because it kind of just happens. Like awkward. She, it's awkward, but she notes that it's awkward because you, she notices that like Isaac doesn't really know what he's supposed to do. And he his makes new, it awkward. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. Well, she's, she's awkward. smart. She doesn't really say anything. She just kind of nods at them both, like acknowledging that they're there, like not trying to ignore the situation, which apparently makes his wife feel a little bit better because she thought like maybe, I guess she was seeing some sort of confrontation coming. And instead she just like nods at them and smiles and keeps walking because then we get her internal monologue where she says nothing. 
There was nothing in my chest, my soul for him beyond a vague sense of gratitude. A few more steps had us passing each other. I smiled broadly at him, at them both, and bowed my head, wishing them well with my entire heart. Which, which is awesome. Exactly. And I think it's something that we already knew and she already knew, like we all already knew that like she wasn't like <laughs> pining over Isaac by any means. But I think at this point, it's to remind us how much she's just now really definitely realizing like, yep, didn't love that guy. Oops. Definitely loved Tam and didn't say anything. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, crap. <laughs> So back at the house, we are now two days away from this ball that their father and Elaine are insisting on throwing Farah. Farah is basically trying to keep herself out of it by hanging out in Elaine's garden. <laughs> like, I'll just dig some holes for you. <laughs> you know, I'll just stay busy out Get here. out of the house. I don't want the party. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I will find anywhere else to be. She, she, she's like digging holes and stuff and she's trying to get the dirt out from under her nails when Nesta appears making some like asshole remark about how you know her hands are all scarred and damaged and dirty anyway so even if she got the dirt off it wouldn't really help she'd have to wear gloves <laughs> kind of bitchy it is oh, kind of bitchy. bitchy it is kind of bitchy and people wonder why I'm like I don't like Nesta I don't. I just, oh, really, girl? You got to be that much of a bitch? I feel you. I feel you. Except the rest of this chapter is why I am like a thousand percent here for Nesta. So we're like getting that, there. She does redeem herself, but God damn, she's a bitch most of the time. Oh, no, she is a bitch. But I think what we discover, she's the bitch we need. <laughs> I respect her for what she does in this chapter. She does redeem herself. Well, this, yeah, the next two, yeah, she really, yeah. Anyway. She does. She does. So, anyway, Nesta and Farah get into some spat, you know, because Nesta's kind of bitchy, so it happens sometimes. And they're bitching something about, you know, being, this being their home or their new home and, you know, welcome home and I don't want a welcome home ball and blah, blah, blah. And Farrah says something along the lines of like not fitting in or it doesn't feel like home or something like that. And Nesta says, I think your home is somewhere very far away. And Farrah knows this is a weird remark and tries to play it off, play it off like, oh yeah, Aunt Ripley's house is kind of far away. And then Nesta definitively says, there is no Aunt Ripley. Whoops. What? What? And Feyre is like obviously stunned. And Nesta goes on, your beast's little trick didn't work on me. Apparently an iron will is all it takes to keep a glamour from digging in. She knows! Nesta knows! <laughs> <laughs> that's a big uh-oh and i Rucker. love this well but i love this because not only does nesta know but nesta has known and nesta has been keeping her mouth shut for days trying to decide like what she's going to do with this information and i also love this because honestly up until this point we didn't know not being glamored was an option true <laughs> outside of being a fae because some fae the glamour doesn't work or if it does it doesn't work for very long like um like uh, with Reese. True, true. 
he realized it, but then he, he busted right through it. Like it was one of those, wait, you're trying to glamour me. Right. So maybe it doesn't work with high lords very well. Potentially. Yeah. It could matter how much magic you have, but in this situation, we did not know that Nesta not work. being glamoured was an option. <laughs> true. Very, very true. We didn't know that this was a concern we should have. Plot twist. So Farrah's trying to put this all together and she's realizing now that when Elaine said Nesta went to visit her, Nesta must have come looking for her, not Aunt Ripley. And she asks, and in Nesta fashion, she says, he stole you away into the night, claiming some nonsense about the treaty. And then everything went on as if it never happened. It wasn't right. None of it was. And I just like that the thing that Nesta latches onto in this moment is the fact that she's just irritated, basically, that everybody was like trying to just, you know, like she's irritated about the glamour itself. She's like, and then he went away and then he tried to glamour me and not only did it not work, but how rude. <laughs> but Farrah's not the one to put the glamour on. I mean, I get, I get Nesta's irritation. Well, right. I think the problem she's having now is the fact that Farah is playing into the whole thing. And also we just know Nesta's just kind of bitchy anyway, so she's going to hold everything against everybody. She's not very good at like picking small targets. <laughs> no, and that's true. I mean, and, and Farah's playing along because until this point, Nesta's the only one who doesn't buy it. You know what well, I mean? Right, well, and see, and that's, and I think that's the key here. I think what's irritating Nesta is the fact that Nesta knows, and Nesta knows that Farah must know, but Farah hasn't noticed that Nesta knows. Basically what I'm saying is, is this reminded me a lot of Once Upon a Time, and if you recall, or if you haven't watched the show, long story short, the kid is the only one in all of season one who has any idea what's going on. From the onset, yep. he knows that this town is actually fairy tale characters who have been yeah. you know magic to this place and you know they've had their memories wiped and he knows who they all are and he knows that they've been cursed but he can't get anyone else to listen to him he has a terrible time for an entire freaking season trying to prove that he's not the crazy one and try to get people on his side and i can't even imagine how stressful that must be so i think in this situation it's the same thing that nesta this whole time has been like looking for any hint from Farah that she's gonna give and she hasn't gotten it yet so now she's just kind of like outright asking like you know I know there's no Aunt Ripley and I know that you were taken and I know that I was glamoured and it didn't work so now what bitch <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which is just so good like to me I just love I love the idea of this storyline like I just love the two of them realizing that they're the only ones who know this and now mm -hmm. that brings them like really close together because they're the only ones who have experienced this and yet, yeah. look at their relationship. <laughs> Total crap. Total crap. So, I just think it's so interesting because it's kind of like, well, all we got is each other. Sorry, <laughs> you know? But Nesta explains that she did go to look for Farah and that she hired a mercenary. That mercenary we learned about way back in episode one, the one that, like, she bought mm -hmm. the wolf pelt, you know? Um, she went back and found her and hired her to take her into the woods. And she just never successfully found a way through the wall. Like they got that far and they couldn't figure out what to do from there. And 
Feyre is both stunned that this is a possibility and stunned that Nesta cared enough to go look for her, which is why I say mm-hmm. that this is super interesting to me. It is. And, and I, I, like I said, I gained so much respect for Nesta in this yeah. chapter. I really do. But damn, she's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, she, she is. She really is. So, I mean, I get it. But I just think that this is, I don't know. It just, to me, this is super interesting. The fact that Nesta did care at all and that she like went that far. Like she, she, I don't know. To me, this is what I do like about Nesta. She can be a bitch, but she's got a lot of fire and determination and I'm all about that. <laughs> True. And true. mostly, I love her because of this line. When Farah asks what happened between her and Thomas Mandre, she says, I realized he wouldn't have gone with me to save you from Prithian. And I like it because Farah knows that in the back of her head, and she even points out that she knows that Nesta, with like her raging and unrelenting heart, it would have been a line in the sand for her. And, like, I get it. Like, the fact that, like, that was the moment where Nesta was like, I'm not going to marry this guy because he's not going to be as fired up and irritated about this as I am. True. And depending on where you are in your reading journey, <laughs> we only know that we get more of this from Nesta, not less. <laughs> so the conversation shifts slightly, and Farah and Nesta start to head into the house, and they're talking about father and why Nesta was always, you know, so hard on him and spending every dime, you know, every dime that Feyre could get them. And she basically just says that she knew Feyre could always get more money because she was resourceful and she just wanted to make their father suffer because she hated him. (laughs) True. But she hates him. And this is so interesting to me too. She hates him, not just for not trying harder to like save their fortune and like take care of them and blah, 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 but mostly for not saving their mother. And Ferris says he loved her. He grieved for her. But Nesta says something really observant that I think matters mm-hmm. for two different reasons. And I only caught one of them the first time I read it. She says, he let her die. You would have gone to the ends of the earth to save your high lord. True. We're going to come back to one part of that at the end of this episode. But that second part, you would have gone to the ends of the earth to save your high lord, has Pharaoh stunned and feeling real broken hearted in this moment. And she's she, kind of like, mm, not really, because I didn't. I'm right. Here. But she's also realizing she just mumbles, yes, I would have. And I think this is when we're starting to like really realize like <laughs> probably in this house right now is not where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> Nope. So that pretty much wraps up this chapter. And it's basically like we get one or two lines about like Nesta and Feyre spending some time together, painting, hanging out, whatever. And it's truly just from the fact, not because like they're best friends now, but because they're the only two who really know what's going on. And I cannot, like I said, you know, given like the once upon a time example, I cannot even imagine what that must be like. So they just kind of spend their time together because who else would understand? And that's where we wrap up chapter 30, because now we're in chapter 31, and we've made it to Ferris Ball. Yay, balls! Woo! The one she just honestly doesn't even want to be here for. <laughs> and 
and she spends the whole time basically just hiding in a corner with Nesta because, as we discussed, Nesta's, uh, you know, resting bitch face pretty much scares off anybody in town. So, you know, it keeps the weirdos away from her. So it, it works out. <laughs> and she's spending most of the time standing there, like, with Nesta, actually thinking about all of this stuff with Tam and everything that's happened. And while she's thinking about all this, she's thinking about how, you know, what Nesta knows and what Nesta said about Tam earlier and how, you know, she would have tried to do something. And she's realizing in her internal monologue, she says, I'd let him send me home. I hadn't tried harder to piece together the information I'd gathered about the blight or Amarantha. I hadn't tried to save him. I hadn't even told him I loved him. And Lucian, Lucian had known it too and shown it in his bitter words on my last day, his disappointment yeah. in me. And while this is all more or less, I just find this so fascinating. Like the first time I read it, I was like, oh, she's sad. She misses Tam. She wishes she didn't make a mistake. The second time reading it, I'm just so fascinated because on one hand, it's like everything she just said in her head right there is more or less true. These are the facts. This is what happened. You know, this is why Lucian is frustrated. And she probably should have tried a little harder. But to me, this is interesting because on a second reread, knowing what comes next, you know, for her in this book, knowing what comes next for her in further books, I think this is actually the beginning of a really, really important lesson that we're all going to go on a journey to learn together <laughs> all through the second book about what this sort of blame and mentality does to a person. I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I think this addresses what happens when you have a Marvel superhero style mentality thinking you have to save it all. And I just, we'll see how it plays out. That's all I'm going to say yeah. about that. <laughs> I know. I, I, I would agree with that, too. But it's just a really interesting mentality. I think it's something that doesn't get discussed. Like it, I think this is the difference where like this kind of book versus like a YA novel. Uh, while her character is somewhat seen before in, you know, things like Hunger Games or Divergent or whatever else, these characters that are, you know, female and they're doing what they got to do and they're going to put it all on the line and, you know, they're going to do the thing and be the savior like you know they're gonna be Buffy the vampire slayer there's only one <laughs> you know what I mean like I think we get this storyline a lot and this is the first time I've ever seen an internal monologue that said it so clearly where she's blaming herself she's saying I let him send me home I hadn't tried harder I didn't do this I didn't do that and for the first time and maybe this is just also like a age thing where like you know hitting 30 having kids like I'm realizing like that is a super dangerous, super toxic way to think in your head about yourself. Very true. And it like, is. It's very toxic. we usually let that go with these kind of characters because we're like, oh, that's who they are. And I'm arguing that that is why we have some of the problems that we have in the second and third books. <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. No, I would agree. Yeah. I, well, I we'll get there but uh anyway we get through this party and the next day their father's just like spitballing you know he's just throwing ideas out there they're just chatting away and he goes 
I'm thinking about buying the better lands. Blink, what? Ferris, like, huh? <laughs> better. Wait, why? Why does that behave so familiar? And she asks, well, what happened? Where have they gone? And Elaine says, their house burned down and everyone died. Well, they couldn't find Claire's body, but it happened in the dead of night. The family, their servants, everyone died. The day before you get here. Uh-huh. And Feyre is shook. Because, friends, if you remember, Claire Better is the name she gave in place of her own to a certain crazy, handsome, crazy, crazy man from the night court. <laughs> fairies had come for her and got Claire instead. And the fairies are easily coming over the wall mm-hmm. and going back, possibly taking people with them. And knowing this, she looks at Nesta and she said, because Nesta is the only one, like we're saying, Nesta is the only one who has any idea what's going on. So she looks at Nesta and she says, you must listen very carefully. Everything I have told you must remain a secret. You do not come looking for me. You do not speak my name again to anyone. And she, uh-huh. she does not let her dad cut in. Nesta like shuts everybody down and she is just like eyeball to eyeball. Like Nesta is taking this in, like she has taken her orders. And Thera says, I think something very bad happened is happening in Prithian. And now her father's all a mess and all confused. And he's like, Prithian, what? what? Like he, he doesn't really add anything with the conversation. He's just like, what? And Nesta shuts him up again. Like I said, go Nesta. And Feyre yeah. gives more orders. The first sign of danger, the first rumor you hear of there being a breach or even something strange, you get on a ship and go. You sail far away, as far south as you can get, someplace the fairies would never desire. <laughs> and they're just, and so Elaine and her dad are just like, what is happening? And Nesta and Feyre like start rushing upstairs and Feyre's packing her things and Nesta is helping and Nesta is, you know, actually not being an idiot. And she immediately realizes what's going on based on everything that she and Feyre have discussed. And she says, the betters, that was meant to be us, but you gave them a no. fake name. Those mm-hmm. wicked fairies who threatened your high lord. Like, yep. Good job. You put it all together. Good on you, Nesta. And oh, Farrah's just... friend killed. Yeah. Farrah's like, oh. Shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, you get it. But also, I guess I don't know for sure that's what happened. But yeah, that's probably what happened. Like, she's just having a moment. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's just having a moment and so she's like trying to pack her stuff and Nessa's trying to help and Nessa even goes and like grabs like pants and a tunic and boots and all those things for Farrah to change into and I'm just saying that's super supportive <laughs> of someone who wears a dress all the time <laughs> all the time all the time <laughs> all the time to the point that uh Kim knows there was a moment in the second book where she's not wearing a dress and my brain thought she was wearing a dress and she does something that seems completely impossible in a dress and Kim had to correct me and be like, but she's in pants. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that really changes the mental image. (laughs) So I'm just saying, getting somebody pants is really supportive in this situation. (laughs) So she's packing up. Just a small bit. Yeah. And like I said, she's being supportive and she says to, and Nesta says to Farah, we don't need you here. Farah, do not look back. 
father once told you to never come back and I'm telling you now, we can take care of ourselves. And Farah even notes at this time that she normally would have been insulted, but in this moment, given everything that they've been talking about, she now understood that this was actually a gift that Nesta was giving her. Like mm -hmm. this gift of if you manage to make it out of here, if you manage to like fix this, that's okay. Like you can stay, you know what I mean? And I was like, shivers down my spine, y'all. I love that line. Like, do not come back. <laughs> we can take care of Don't ourselves. Return. Yeah, I was like, that is so cute. Um, so before leaving, Farah gives Nesta the last bit of info she has, which is, you know, iron doesn't work. Fairies can lie. Oh, yeah, and the only thing useful is ash wood. So, you know, maybe you should get Elaine to, like, <laughs> make an ash wood grove. <laughs> take, take all my money, put it to that, buy an ash wood grove. Go buy all the ash you can find. And, yeah, I mean, I was loving that. I was like, yeah, right, I was like, okay. <laughs> Actionable steps. I'm into it. <laughs> Too bad it's going to take Elaine a long time to make it grow without magic. But you go. You know, we're just not going to, you know, worry about the details. <laughs> um. But Farah does say that, you know, she'll try to come back for them. She'll try to come back someday if things are better. And Nesta says not to bother. And Farah just kind of looks at her and she says, I don't, you know, says something. And Nesta says something along the lines of, I don't think I'd like fairies anyway. <laughs> and Farah's just like, uh. And Nesta finishes, if it ever is, and she means safe, if it ever is safe again, Father and Elaine can have this place. I think I'd like to see what else is out there, what a woman might do with a fortune and a good name. And I just think this is important to tuck in the back of our minds for like book two and three. Yeah. So we're just going to tuck that away. <laughs> it comes back. Uh, ready to leave, Farah says goodbye to her family, surprised to find that Elaine has gathered a horse and food and supplies for her. And Elaine hugs Farah saying, I remember, I remember all of it now. Which has to be so hard because Nesta and Farah have had days to like take all of this in. And Elaine is realizing what's going on in like the 30 seconds before Farah leaves. I know. So that's wild. Also, I just want to point out that her father is apparently not there to say goodbye, which is not really important, but just something weird I noticed. Her dad really is, yeah. He's just not there. Yeah. Like he isn't. And I, I have to say, before we move on to the next little bit, that I find it very disturbing that her dad literally was counting the jewels and the, the money she brought back, like, like with glee. It was, it kind of had like almost a Scrooge-esque moment, you know, it was just that whole, yeah, that's kind of disturbing, dude. I don't know if it's really that, like, I don't know if it's really like a greed thing or if it's like a... He just, like, so has his head in the sand that he has no concept thing. I don't know. It just, it, it felt very, um, I felt a lot of avarice in a way. Like, not maliciously, but there was some avarice there as far as the jewels and the gold. Yeah, I get it. It, it was a weird moment. From the point of view of this book, that's yeah. really kind of how it comes across. And you're like, what the hell, dude? No wonder Nesta hates you. Well, I also thought, well, right. And then I also think I just assumed he was a throwaway character. Like upon reading this book, I was like, he just does nothing useful. So we don't, he, yeah. she doesn't say goodbye to him because he's a throwaway character. True. True. So, I mean, we don't hear anything about him for like the rest of this book. We don't even hear about anything about him. <laughs> even like I think the next book. 
So, he's just well, kind of vaguely yeah. around. He's mentioned, but that's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I get what you mean, though. She takes this horse that Elaine has gotten ready for her, and she takes off, and she travels the whole day, stopping only when dark, and then picks up and does the whole thing, the whole thing again the next day, you know, travels the whole day on her horse, mm-hmm. stops when it gets dark. And on the third day, she reaches what must be the edge of the forest where the wall is because everything is deathly quiet. And she's been- And her horse doesn't want to go anywhere. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> the horse is like, nope, no way, ma'am. Not moving. Sorry. Stand and she spends two whole days looking for a hole in this wall. This invisible wall. It's yep. not a real wall, people. It's, it's, it, you can't see it. Nope. You can so she is it. just running her hand along it, basically, for two Weird. days. Looking for a it's whole a total la- It's a total labyrinth moment. Yeah. It is. You're not wrong. Total. So she does eventually find a way in. And then once on the other side of the wall, she keeps going and she's got her arrow drawn and her wits about her and she's like ready for whatever's coming. But she's also spending a lot of her time thinking about, like, well, what will Tamlin say? <laughs> which is fair. Yeah, which is fair. Um, she's thinking he might try to send her away. He might be mad at her, blah, blah, blah. And, and she doesn't really care. She just wants well, you know, mostly to tell him how she feels, I think. She does. But you, you did miss one thing that I, I found really interesting. She crosses the wall. There are two parts to this. First of all, when she finds the hole, she recognizes it at a, as a gate, so to speak, because of two mm-hmm. stones that have some kind of a spiral marking on them, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. And as soon as she crosses, she's like, I recognize these woods. I know where I am. Yeah, which is interesting because she was supposedly asleep when she came like through them both times before. So it has to well, be. How many times did she and, and Lucian go hunting right by it? Exactly, which I think credit to Lucian may have been on purpose. <laughs> I agree. I'm just saying. I, you That's know, a that, fair point. That's a fair point. That totally, give... like, for the first time it really clicked. See, I didn't think of it. You're right. I remember reading it now, and you're right. That is pretty interesting. I was more focused on the things she's thinking in her head because I find the fact that she knows that she's in, like, possibly grave danger, the fact that she's got her arrows drawn, and yet in her head she's doing, like, ye typical high school, like, does he love me? Love me not. Will he be mad? Will he be happy to see me? Is he going to be happy to see me and give me kisses, or is he going to try to throw me out? Like, it's, it's like True. a weird dichotomy here where she's like, on one hand, got to focus. I'm on a mission. On the other hand, lovey dovey eyeballs. You know, she's making her way. And while she's thinking about all of this, we learn that she is so intent on coming up with what she's going to say to Tamlin when she sees him that it takes her a minute to even realize that as she's coming upon the estate, like, as she's coming up on Tamp Manor, she's realizing that <laughs> it's seen better days. The gates have been bent out of shape, and the grounds need a trim. And upon further inspection, the front doors appear to have been ripped off their hinges. Yeah, so now no, she's finally like, no, oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. So she like runs in through the front door and she's looking around. The place is just trashed. 
And she's in a total panic now. And she's shouting for Tamlin, Lucian, anyone. And Mm -hmm. she's realizing that the place is not only trashed, but completely empty. And she says, alone in the wreckage of the manor, I sank to my knees. He was gone. Well, oh crap, Kim. (laughs) Well, poogies. So um, we've been through a lot in these three chapters so far. Uh, and yet, things are still about to get more wild. <laughs> Y'all remember when I said, you know, I talk about, I talked about this, about being a survivor of mass destruction. She takes you on this roller coaster ride, and it does all these crazy turns, and it has these crazy hills. Well, we've just kind of started the crest down over the top of the big first hill. Yeah. this point on out, it's like, buckle up. We I are mean, about to like, just go flying. I mean, think about it. This is episode four. Our first episode was like a lot of backstory. Our second episode was like a lot of like learning about Prithian and the people there and the, you know, creatures there. And then our third episode really like sets up the, the kind of Beauty and the Beast-esque love story, right? And then she gets sent home and she realizes that she loves him and she wants to go back and we get this cool twist with her sister and we're like, okay, she's going to go back. And like, we all know that there has to be some sort of big climax here and we know that some big ugly you know blight thing is a problem so like we know she's gonna come back to something not being great but this (laughs) one minute wasn't really what we expected and what we're about to find out over the next three chapters with kib is definitely not what we expected so hold on to your hats so chapter 32 we are at the manor house and as Kelsey said, Fair is on her knees. And she's like, oh, crap. This place is trashed, y'all. I mean, trashed. Um, the windows have been busted in. Doors are barely hanging on to their hinges. Um, there's glass and debris everywhere. And intermixed in this, she's finding splatters of blood. Not good. So, of course, this puts Fair on high alert, especially the hunting side of her that's so used to having to be out in the woods and, you know, self-preservation and hunting and she starts checking around and she realizes there are no bodies which honestly is a good thing and there's not a lot of gore again these are good things so she gets herself up takes a deep breath puts on her big girl panties and keeps going through the manor trying to find somebody anybody at this point and she uses her tracking skills because she starts to notice footprints and she's like wait Mm -hmm. let me stop let me figure this out and so she, she uses these footprints to track the number of people, what might have happened, etc. And she ends up in the dining room and it is just destroyed. The problem is, is she can't tell is it from when Tamlin destroyed it after Resand visited or because of the battle or both. The big thing she notices both, is both. I vote both. I kind of vote for both, but you know. The slashes in the wall, I'm guessing, were Tamlin with his claws having the temper tantrum, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the entire dining table is literally cleaved in two. And everything's on the floor. The chairs are destroyed, knocked over. It's a mess. And as she's in there and she starts trying to figure things out, she hears somebody in the hallway. And so she decides she's going to go hide and she goes and she hides behind the door and she's covering her mouth. She's trying to do everything she can to be as silent as possible. And whoever it is keeps coming in, keeps coming in. And 
she realizes as they get closer they're limping and they get into the door and she's like all they have to do is move the door and i'm going to be seen oh my god well whoever it is starts sniffing the air they can smell her remember she's human yep we've been trying to point this out from the beginning <laughs> so there's that whole they can smell things and the the creature in the doorway turns around and favor realizes it's alice oh thank god and thank god for small miracles right the friend the friend she really needs especially now i think i think this is one of the times when alice really proves she is the friend favor needs and in this case awesome wants mm -hmm. and you know Feyre starts to demand alice after she scares the crap out of alice because poor alice i think almost had a heart attack um <laughs> poor alice she's hurt and she's terrified and she's there but she's there trying to get her stuff and Feyre is like are Tam are Tam and and Lucian alive and and Alice is like yes but yes but you know she's trying to to tell her more and Feyre is starting to just fire off questions and Alice is finally like you know Feyre is like tell me what happened tell me what's going on she's demanding answers and Alice gets really quiet she starts looking around and she drags Feyre down into the kitchens and doesn't say a word until they get into the kitchens. Kitchens look like a bomb have gone off in it. There's just been this huge fire. It's, it's, they're destroyed. Like the whole house is trashed, y'all. I cannot tell you enough how bad this house looks. Once they're in the kitchen and Alice ascertains that yes, it is definitely quiet and they are the only two there and it's safe to talk, Alice starts talking to her. And Alice will tell Feyre as much of the truth as possible this whole time she is grabbing supplies and food okay she's packing so up she's she's packing up she's getting she's getting out of dodge she's like hey ain't nobody else here to get the food i'm gonna eat it before it goes bad smart lady i mean you gotta respect her for that one right so anyway she's grabbing food and packing up and she starts talking to Farah. and alice tells Farah as much of the truth as she can so for the first time we're actually getting a big info dump here and um she basically explains that amarantha and her cronies came and took tamlin and lucian away and um they're at her court under the mountain and then all of a sudden alice starts to explain to Farah about how queen amarantha mm -hmm. uh rose to power and cursed Tamron and all of Prithian almost 50 years ago. I just want to step in for one second because she tell, says this line when it's like, <laughs> I swear it's like, okay, find a, a spot on the carpet, kitties, and get quiet. We're about to have story time because Alice says, you want the truth, girl? Then here it is. She it took is. him for the curse because the seven times seven years were over and he hadn't shattered the curse. She summoned all the High Lords to count this time to make them watch her break him. And it's like, okay, like that's go. a lot. And she, then she, you're right. And then she just lan launches in explaining about the hot, you know, Queen Amarantha and all that. And it's just so funny to me where she's just like, you want the truth, girl? <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's story time. You know, the little, the magic, what was it? Romper room with the magic lollipop, yes. you know, and they bring them in. I mean, I swear, it's like, it's one of those moments, kids, so. It is, so buckle up, because you're about to get info dumps, and go. <laughs> and go, big info dump. So, Alice explains to, to, to Feyre that 
Amarantha is the queen of Prithian, the high queen of Prithian. And Fear's like, whoa, stop. What do you mean she's the high queen? But the seven high lords rule Prithian equally. There's no high queen. Alice is like, well, that's how it used to be. <laughs> yeah, she's like, do you want the story or not? <laughs> Basically. And um, about 100 years ago, Amarantha comes over from Highburn. And she's, she's telling stories to all the high lords about how she's there on a peace mission. And, and she wants to be the emissary. And, and, and they want to be friends. And they want to establish trade. And I mean, she basically went from court to court to court to infiltrate the courts and, and to get them to be on their side. And this is coming from the King of Highburn, by the way, y'all. So bear in mind, remember when Surreal was trying to tell her about the, the evil king? This is the evil king. And this is, if you remember the Surreal even talks about the deceiver. Amarantha's the deceiver and they call her that. And Alice goes on, she explains about Amarantha and Amarantha hates hates humans and mortals just hates them and it's because of her sister she fought in the war amarantha and her sister both fought for highburn in the war against humans 500 years ago and her sister clithia fell in love with a human general named jurian jurian betrayed clithia and killed her and so amarantha kills jurian in retaliation to say very, the least. It's a very short, short description. We Later books, we'll get into more. But anyway, really short, really fast. That's what happened. But because of it, after the treaty was signed, freeing the humans, instead of freeing her humans, Amarantha butchered all of her slaves. She refused to free her human slaves. She killed them all. So she's a really pleasant lady. Not. Mm -hmm. Um. Anyway, so for the first 50 years of this hundred that she has been in Prithian, she's been doing trade with all these, you know, all the different courts. And as she was doing trade, she was sneaking her troops in. Mm -hmm. So that 49 years ago, she was able to seize power. Mm -hmm. And Alice tells Feyre in this that there is no blight, that Amarantha is the blight. Mm. And that you know, she's the one who could have stopped, she being Farah, could have stopped all of this and ended it. But she didn't because she's a stupid, scared human. Isn't that sweet? Anyway, they, they're going on and on. But the threat isn't just to Prithian because of Amarantha. The threat is also to the human lands, to the mortal lands. Because again, remember, Amarantha hates humans. She's, she's going to try and get rid of them. And, you know, as, as Alice is berating her, saying, you could have broken the curse, you know, you, this is all on you, you were, if you had, she says exactly, you could have been the one to free him and his power, had you not been so blind to your own heart, humans, she spat. And, and Pharaoh's like, I, I didn't know. And, you know, Alice is like, you couldn't know. It was part of Tamlin's curse. And, and Farrah's like, wait, what, what curse? Curse? Wait, stop, hold the presses. What do you mean curse? And Alice then explains that Tamlin and Amarantha had known each other. Amarantha had been friends with Tamlin's father. They had fought together in the war. 
And so, of course, growing up, Tamlin knew her and knew what a horrible, terrible, rotten person she really was. So, you know, they came back. As she, when she came back, Tamlin actually didn't trust her. He did everything he could to stay away from her and avoid her. And so, as Alice explains, he, she says, Amarantha eventually grew to desire Tamlin, to lust for him with her entire wicked heart. But he'd heard stories from others about the war and knew what Amarantha and his father and the Highburden king had done to fairies and humans alike. What she did to Jurian as punishment for her sister's death. He was wary of her when she came here, despite her attempts to lure him into her bed and kept his distance right up until she stole his powers. Lucian. Poor Lucian was sent to her as Tamlin's emissary to try to treat for peace between them. Amarantha refuses it. Mm-hmm. Lucian basically tells her where to go and how to get there. And in retaliation, she takes Lucian's eye. And um, armed out with her own her fingernail. Fingernail. I mean, she's gross. And Ooh. then scarred his face. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, Lucian gets back. Poor Tamlin pretty much pukes up his cookies for a good while. Fear is just kind of like, oh my God. Oh my God. And so after that, Amaretha decides to hold a masquerade ball in her court under the mountain. And all the courts were present. And a party, she said, to make amends for what she'd done to Lucian. And a masquerade so that he wouldn't have to reveal the horrible scoring going on on his face. The entire spring court was asked to wear masks. Everybody in the spring court was invited, servants included. And they were to wear masks and different animals to celebrate Tamlin's shape-shifting powers. Because remember, he's the beast. And then after everyone's assembled, she claims, she be Damarantha, claims that peace could be had if Tamlin joined her as her lover and consort. Tamlin's like, ah, no. And at that point, she curses them. In fact, his rejection was he would sooner take a human to his bed sooner than marry a human than ever touch her. And she might have let it go had he not said that her own sister had preferred a human's company to hers and that her own sister had chosen Jurian over her. Bad Tamlin. Bad, 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 stupid boy. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can see why he and Lucian get along. They both have foot and mouth real bad. Don't they? They really do. They don't always think before they speak. Yeah. Anyway, Aunt Martha didn't take Conley to this. She didn't take it kindly at all. So, she curses him. She said he had seven times seven years before she claimed him, before he had to join her under the mountain. If he wanted to break her curse, he only need find a human girl willing to marry him, but not any girl. A human with ice in her heart, with hatred for our kind, a human girl willing to kill a fairy. Worse, the fairy that she kills has to be one of his men, sent across the wall by him like a lamb to slaughter. And the girl could only be brought here to be courted if she killed one of his men in an unprovoked attack. It killed him for hatred alone, just as Jurian had killed Clithia, so that he, Tamlin, could understand her sister's pain. So this this treaty is a lie. All of this is a lie. 
And now all of a sudden, Fever realizes she really could have been the one to break the curse. She killed Andrus, and of course, she's feeling awful. She is totally beating herself up. She's kind of feeling kind of sick. And, you know, it's like a, a joke on, on AMR at this part, you know, because what human would be able to slaughter a fairy? Right. right. She's really thinking there's no way this is going to happen. And well, come to find out, Farah did kill a fairy and it did work. And, you know, she did fall in love with Tamlin. The only problem is, is she wasn't smart enough and brave enough to tell him he, she loved him before she left. And, you know, because she wasn't brave enough to tell him, he's been taken. And the only reason why Alice can say as much of it about the curse as she has at this point is because this much of it has been lifted by Amarantha. So that the only way that this could have even been described prior to this, the only way any of them could explain what was going on to, to Feyre was to call it a, a, a blight. You know, she's going on, she starts talking about, you know, when she first cursed him and, and for a long time he kept trying to send people over and, you know, nothing was happening. And so he had finally given up. And then, you know, about 40 years ago, three of the courts, three of the other courts staged a rebellion against Amarantha. And they, the, those high lords and most of their immediate families were killed in retaliation for trying to rebel. And those courts are the day court, the summer court, and the winter court. These are important things to keep in mind, not necessarily for this book, but for the future of the story. So please put a pin mm -hmm. in it because it becomes very important plot points later. So you have three relatively new high lords right. in, in Prithian. Um, the high lord of day, the high lord of summer, and the high lord of winter are all relatively young, new high lords. Mm -hmm. Fair realized this is worse than she really thought. And, and you know, she was really... She was really glad she had warned her family before she leave, left about what to do. Um, but she was like super, she was really you know, feeling guilty. Um, but she remembers that Tamlin had said at one point that he couldn't, he couldn't even protect himself against what was going on, let alone, you know, her. And that the blight would literally hunt Farrah down mm -hmm. and find a way to kill her. Again, if you know your Tamlin fairy tale, this should also make some sense to you because this is definitely relevant to the Tamlin fairy tale as well. Remember I said it's about a, a man who is um, taken prisoner by the Queen of Fae and his true love has to be willing to fight to the death to protect him. So we're starting to get to that point where that part mm -hmm. of the fairy tale becomes really relevant. Anyway, Feyre decides she has to go into the mountain. She's going to go save Tam. And it takes some convincing, but she finally convinces Alice to take her there. But before Alice does, before they leave the house and they've packed up some supplies, Alice gives her some very strict rules about magic. She keeps all of the high lords, all of them. So all seven high lords magic has been, by, by Amarantha, has been kept. And um, she keeps their powers locked up inside of herself. She can't use them or access them but she has her own deadly powers. So even though if it comes down to a fight, yes, Tamlin could kill her once he, re once he got all of his powers back. At the moment, he doesn't have all of his powers. None of the High Lords do. Right. So again, important to, to know. And then, you know, finally, Alice is like, fine, I will take you there. And the chapter ends, and I love, I love this because it's, it's 
So Princess Bride, Alice concedes, and she's like, as you wish. I know. I saw that, too. I was like, oh, what, what a funny callback. Oh, Sarah J. Mass, you win. You win the gold star for that one, because I love that quote, because, well, as you wish. But that's how chapter 32 ends. Chapter 33. Alice takes her to the magic tunnel, which point, or to the cave, which point, this is when, when Feyre realizes, she's like, hey, wait a minute. We told the adder not, you know, Lucian told the adder, don't use this. This is what they were talking about. And with her supplies, she literally goes under the mountain. Just before she gets ready to go under, Alice gives her some rules to abide by. She's like, mm -hmm. you have to follow these rules. A few rules to remember, girl, she said. Don't drink the wine. It's not like what we had at the solstice, and it will do more harm than good. Don't make deals with anyone unless your life depends on it. And even then, consider whether it's worth it. And most of all, don't trust a soul in there, not even Tamlin. Your senses are your greatest enemies. They will be waiting to betray you. Which I think we have to like internalize here, like sounds like really good, solid advice. <laughs> true, true, true. But true. when we get in there, it's like super not applicable. No, not at all. Like, poor Alice basically just gave her these two pieces of information, which, like, do come back, except for the fact that it's like, yeah, easy to say now. So, poor Alice. Just as she's getting ready to leave, she's like, there's still one part of this curse I still can't tell you. It won't let me. Yeah, this part is good. <laughs> this part and of the advice like, is the best part. <laughs> it really is. She's like, keep your ears open. Listen to what you hear. So even though her senses may deceive her, maybe her sense of sight, even her sense of smell, her ears, her sense of sound probably is going to be the one sense that will really kind of keep her safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Alice disappears, leaves Favor there. Favor goes down into the cave. Favor does offer Alice to go to her sister's um, if she needs a place to go for, to flee. Um, that her sister, she does know Nesta would would take care of Alice and her and Alice's nephews. I, I thought that was interesting. I did too. Least. I thought it was interesting too because it kind of went back to what I said about Nesta earlier where I said I think in this moment whether the two of them have ever gotten along, whether the two of them ever will get along, she and Nesta know this is more serious than that. True. And so she can trust that if Alice were to show up on Nesta's doorstep Nesta and say, would trust that, sent us. Yeah, she would trust that Feyre knew what she was doing. Right. And so she's in this cave and she's walking along down this tunnel and she starts to see a light and then she hears voices. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to be quiet. Remember, people, she's human. She doesn't have the Fae stealth. Yeah. And she's trying and she's trying and, well, crap, she gets caught. Like immediately. Like, if you have read this, you know chapter 33 is short. If you have not read this, chapter 33 is real short because it's like a page and a half and a whoop, there we go. She accidentally got caught already. Yeah. I mean, it was quick. It was super quick. I mean, she's caught and Fair's like, oh crap, this is the adder. But that's the end of chapter 33. Like we said, it's quick. It's Boom, super quick, gone. which I think is interesting because up to this point, you know, chapters have been longer. 
if you're thinking, you know, like an action book, you're thinking like, okay, and now we're going to sneak along this cave. We're going to go this way and that way. And we're going to go here and there and all these, and like, you don't even get there. She literally gets captured so quick. And I think that's supposed to prove like how not prepared she is stealthy. for this. Well, and how not stealthy she is compared well, to right. fairies. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, she is so unprepared. She is super out of her element. Just, just a little. So he drags her right into chapter 34. Yes, he does. And he takes her and he dumps her down in front of Queen Amarantha in the throne room. Thunk on the floor, on the marble, in front of the dais. Also, I noticed that it was red marble. Uh, I didn't notice that the first time I read it. It stood out to me this time because I was like, that has got to be the ugliest floor I've ever seen. <laughs> like, yeah, what a choice. As soon as Farrah's down, she, come, she starts to get up on her hands and her knees, and she looks up, and she sees Amarantha. And she, to quote, her quote about Amarantha, seeing her, is, to paint her would have driven her to madness. Mm-hmm. So to paint Amarantha would have driven Farrah to madness. Makes you wonder. Well, apparently you- it's because she's, like, kind of pretty, but in a way that you can, like, her, she's ugly because her evil literally, like, permeates the fact that she has out pretty features. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, the evil oozes out of her. Yeah. Then she looks up, and she realizes that Tam is next to Amarantha on the dais. And poor Farrah, she's looking to Tam like, oh my god, you're here, and and she's trying to, like, get any recognition, and he acts like he doesn't even know her, he doesn't look at her, he completely is, like, immobile, and she's kind of like, WTF, dude, hello? His eyes didn't widen, his mouth didn't tighten, no claws, no fangs, he just stared at me, unfeeling, unmoved, unimpressed. Poor girl. Like, I'm sad for her. Like, I have, I'm having an emotional response about this, and I'm not even there. <laughs> I know. It's horrible. So, Favor looks up, and she claims, I've come to claim Tamlin, High Lord of the Spring Court. Namorath is like, wait, what? <laughs> and she starts laughing. She's like, well, isn't this interesting? She starts to ask Tamlin, she's like, do you know her? And Tamlin completely is like, nope, don't know her. She, Amarantha, does kind of say, oh, you developed a taste for the human beast after all. And again, nothing. I mean, he is just being nothing. And anyway, you know, poor Fair is wondering, has she already lost? Has she already failed? Has, you know, is all of this. Right, she's thinking, and, like, this seems so out of, like, this whole thing seems so outrageous, like, he's been glamored, or, well, because he even says that, he's like, I don't know who this is, I've never seen her before, they must have glamored somebody to make me think it's her, or whatever, like, it, he says something super weird, and so she's like, does he really believe that? Is that what the problem is? Right, right, and I mean, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, she has been way over her head here, people. And don't forget, this isn't just like, she's not just like before a throne with Amarantha and, and Tamlin there. This room is filled with weird ass high fae that she can't figure out like 
Some of them, even like, low fang, not even, well, not yeah, even high fang. Not even just high so, fang, but this was, like, in the court, because she, like, passed, she, like, she mentions when she, the adder's bringing her in, she passes all these, like, random fang, and then when she gets mm -hmm. in here, she's like, oh, this must be where the high fang hang out, because it's, like, kind of like a ballroom, and it's, like, she can't tell if they, like, kind of want to be there. Like, some of them seem like they're kind of chill with this, and other ones are just, like, looking on, like, not really you know, kind of Tam-like. They're just staring and... They're feeling kind of awkward. You can tell they're feeling awkward. And yeah. It's just a really weird vibe. Yeah, on. so, like, it's not just her in front of the two of them. It's her in front of a room full of people watching this go down. It's so crazy. Yes. And Farah takes on Amrith, and Amrith is like, well, why shouldn't I just kill you here and now? Well, which, in fairness, most of us always wonder at this point in these books, like, the fact that we get an end to this book is shocking. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but Farrah stands up to her and she's like, you know, what you've done to Tamlin is unfair, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, at which point, let's face it, most people would have been killed. Right. And somehow Farrah seems to survive and, and what eloquence will pour from your lips when you behold what you should have been? To which point she points behind Farah, and literally hanging from high up on the wall slash ceiling is the body of Claire Better. And you're like, ew. And I have to stop here for a sec because here's, here's something I asked Kelsey this earlier, and <laughs> I, I have to put this out here, y'all, because I don't know. How many times have you all driven up and down the road, you know, like, with deer and possum and raccoon or whatever animal that got hit and killed and is now in the ditch on the side of the road, right? And they're decomposing. And let's face it, it stinks to all hell because it just, death and decomposition is not a pretty smell. Like, how is it these fae with their heightened senses are not reacting to the stench of Claire's decomposing body? Like, really, how? Because yeah. it's been a couple weeks. And I'm sorry, but she's got to be done right, rank and ripe. And ugh. yeah, I just the, don't get it. The only answer we could come up with was, well, it's magic. <laughs> yeah, like they've glamored it out. I, that's the only thing I can think of. Because seriously, honest to God, barf. Um, she's asking Tamlin, do you recognize her? Tam doesn't say anything. And of course, Amarantha does call him out for the lie. And in in continuing to talk to. Um, to Farah, she's like, well, you know, and talking about, you know, why shouldn't I kill you? She goes, well, you know. But Amarantha, too, like, just throwing this in there, because we're talking about, like, her talking about this, and Amarantha is like, this TV show is going to be fascinating. I hope that most of Amarantha's dialogue is literally just the dialogue from the book, because her lines are something else. Like, you just get, like, yes. such a specific vibe from this crazy lady, right? Because like, for example, earlier when she meets, like, Farah earlier on in this conversation, she's looking at her and then she's looking at Tamlin. She's like, you certainly were busy all those years. Developed a taste for human beasts, did you? Like, what kind of weird thing is that to say? And then, like, she's listening to Farah talk and she's, like, realizing that this is Farah and that <laughs> Claire hanging up on the wall ain't who Tamlin's been with. And she's like, oh, you are delicious. You let me torture that innocent girl to keep this one safe, you lovely thing. Like, she's a crazy lady. Like, she's nuts, man. She is a lunatic because then at this point, 
when she when she realizes that Feyre has now noticed Claire up on the wall, she's like, perhaps I should have listened when she said she'd never seen Tamlin before. Like, or this lady fairy. is bananas! And then she was all about that, you know, the, the most beautiful, delicious music was her screams. Yeah! Like, whew. Dude, man, this woman is not Yeah, because right. then she's like, I should thank you for giving Rhysand her name instead of yours. Like, she's a, just like I said, she's just a crazy lady. <laughs> you have to wonder, is, is Rhysand proud of this moment or not? Like, <laughs> dude, he certainly hasn't made himself seem very, um. Yeah, he's probably in the room. That's not discussed at this point, but. He's no, probably in the room. Imagine they're all there. Like, yeah. all, all the High Lords. Remember, Alice told her all the High Lords have been summoned. Yeah, so he's probably around. And so it's just like, So what? he's having a moment, too. Oh. I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, poor, poor, poor Feyre. And Feyre is on top of this. She's now being eaten up by guilt because she realizes what happened to Claire should have happened to her. And that should be her up there. And so she's starting to really have some serious guilt eaten up. It's bad enough she was upset to realize what had happened to Claire's family should have happened to her family. But now seeing Claire all mangled and, and abused and butchered is making her realize that should have been her. Then it's also wild because then she says, and I didn't even really catch this the first time. This kind of goes back to what we've been saying this whole time about like weird ways people and like, you know, how I was saying, like she kind of internalizes her like her guilt in a weird way mm -hmm. because she even says in her like internal monologue he'd let them kill claire like that yep. to keep them from knowing that i was alive and it's almost like she's bitter about that too like not only was that supposed to be me but like he didn't stop this crazy lady from killing this innocent girl and amarantha right. somehow picks up on this because she says do you still wish to claim someone who would do that to an innocent? And let's face it, we have come to realize no matter what, at this point, Amaranth is crazy enough. She'd have done this to Claire no matter what. Oh, well, right. And so that's why I was saying, like, this is such a weird, I don't know. It just stood out to me. Like, the first time I was just like, yeah, this is, you know, a crazy queen being a crazy queen. But now I'm like, wait, she kind of picked up on exactly what was going through her head, like, her favorite head. That's creepy. And also, like, clearly that means she plans on playing on Feyre's, like, mental state. Absolutely. So it's like, well, now this just got wild. This ain't just gonna be physical. This is gonna be <laughs> mental abuse. No. This is gonna be abuse on so many levels. And, you know, it's, it's great because, you know, Feyre's response back to her was, is, yeah, yeah, I still do. Yeah, He's I, mine. which I, I, give, I give her credit for. I thought that was awesome. And so, of course, then Amrith is trying to bait Tamlin, asking him, well, what do you have to say? And again, he denies ever knowing her or seeing her or anything. And, and Amrith is like, that's not even a halfway decent lie. <laughs> like, ooh. Yeah. Um... At which point she's just like, she's starting to take fun in this. And she's like, oh, this is fun. And you realize Amaranth is wearing a ring with an eyeball on it. And she starts yeah. fingering this necklace and it's a bone. Mm -hmm. And at this moment, Amaranth basically introduces us to what's left of Jurian. 
but not only do we discover this is what's left of him, we discover because she's he's, talking he's, to it. She's like, I, I suppose if anyone can appreciate this moment, it would be you, Jurian. And his eyes start rolling around, at which point you realize he's alive. Yeah, like he's dead. Like, yeah, what does she say? Like, a favor explains it better than I would. She says something like he's he's dead, but his consciousness is somehow trapped inside. With oh, an my eyeball. God. <laughs> yeah, totally like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, you're like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> we told you it gets gross. <laughs> yeah. We weren't kidding about the gore here, people. And we're, we're sugarcoating as much of this as we can. Yeah, for real. Tamlin is still not responding at all to Feyre, at which point Feyre was thinking, well, maybe, maybe Amaranth has glamoured him. <laughs> she doesn't know. I mean, she really right. is like trying she's to figure out what the She's hell running out of ideas here. She's like, what is going on? He's not responding in any way, shape, or form. And so anyway, Amaranth is like, well, Claire's dead, and I'm bored. I want something to do. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, you get to this point and you're like, oh crap, now what's happening? Yeah, you're like, well, this can't be good. And so Feyre gets challenged by Amaranth, and Amaranth is like, so you came here to claim him? Well, I'll make a bargain with you. And of course, thank you, Alice. Alice's warning does kind of clang through Feyre's head, and she's like, you know, not even if your life depends on it. And Feyre's like, well, it's not really going to matter. My life depends on it, but it doesn't because either way, I'm dead. Right. Like, I she's can smart agree enough to, to realize she's... game or I can die right this right. second. Do I extend it and maybe find a way to break the curse after all and at least free Tam? You know, which, you know what? You got to respect her. She is thinking. Right. And so Amarantha is like, okay, you complete three tasks of my choosing three tasks that prove how deep that human sense of loyalty and love runs and Tamlin is yours. Three challenges to prove your dedication, to prove to me, to darling Jurian, that your kind can indeed love true and you can have your high lord. And in return, Farah's taking everything that Alice had told her and she starts to negotiate it and she's like, I want his curse broken, I want the curse on his court broken and i want them freed yep and she's trying and she's like and i want them to be able to remain free forever and she was trying to make sure she she covered all the loopholes mm -hmm. and then amarantha decides to throw in one more thing and she's like just i'm gonna throw in something else and just to see if you're worthy enough for all of us for for a fairy um and if you're smart enough to deserve him. And she's like, you have to solve a riddle. If you solve the riddle, the curse will be broken immediately. And then you don't have to do the trials. Right. And she's like, you know, but you can answer the, the, the riddle at any time. So that's kind of cool. And, and of course, poor, poor Feyre is trying to turn the, the everything over and, and, and find any loopholes. And she's like, well, what if I fail the tasks? At which point, you know, Amareth is like, dude, you're going to die. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, well, obvious. you are going to fail them, and you are going to die, you dumbass. <laughs> Feyre's like, all right, fine. What are the nature of the tasks? What are, what are these trials I'm going to have to go through? Amareth is like, I'm not going to tell you that. Take all the fun out of this. But you will have one task a month at the full moon. So yep. we now know that 
She's got three months. Yeah, she about to be here a long ass time, dude. To figure this out. Now, remember when we talked about time being important in the story? The last major marker for time that we had was midsummer, which is June 20th ish. And we know so, she spent a couple weeks at home with her family, probably about two weeks. So I'm thinking we're mid July. Sure. Yeah, let's roll with it. So mid July. And of course, we don't know exactly when the full moon is, but all right. So she's got, she's from this point, she's got roughly three months. So seven plus three puts us mid October. Again, just. Give yourself a rough timeline of what's going like, on. She's about to be here. Like I said, for here's my point. She's about to be here under the mountain about as long as she spent in the spring court. Yes. And uh, she's going to be there fighting for Tamlin. Remember, she has to be willing to fight to the death. And, and Amarth has already made it clear that pretty much no matter what happens, Fair is dying. Yeah. There okay. doesn't seem to be too, much, uh, too many ways to get out of that. Favor's like, fine, so while I'm here, what's going to happen to me? You know, what? how am I spending my time here? And, and Amaranth is like, well, you'll either be in the cell or doing whatever it is I task you with. And so Favor agrees. And as soon as she agrees, magic literally passes over. It tingles over her skin to seal the deal. It is a magical agreement. So, of course, it also holds Amarantha there because it means Amarantha has agreed. Mm -hmm. She has to go through her three trials and or solve the riddle. So depending on how things go, Fairs bought herself at least three months. So on, on the bright side, it's, uh, she's also tied Amaranth's hand. And this is one of the few times that there's actually a response from Tamlin because he's, his face turns ghastly white and his eyes met hers and they almost imperceptibly widen. I can't talk tonight. <laughs> imperceptibly widened, saying no. So he really didn't want her that to, to agree to this, but it had happened. And so once she agrees, Amaranth is like, oh, well, here, have fun. And she turns Farah over she to the She literally outer. says, give her a greeting worthy of my haul. Like I said, what a lunatic! The hiss of the adder is the only warning she had before, basically, she gets hit in the jaw, at which point the adder and his cronies beat the ever-living shit out of Farah. Yep. And the she chapter, says she hears her bones crunch. Yeah. Ah. And she becomes a punching bag for them. And the chapter quite literally ends with her blacking out. So. And because we're lunatics, that's where we're going to leave you today. <laughs> yeah. We're going to leave you on this nice little cliffhanger. Am. And um, that's because of the way the rest of this book lays out. So yes. like we kind of talked about earlier today, episode one and two kind of really, you know, episode one gave us all the backstory we needed to know. Episode two really set up kind of this world and some of the beauty and the beast stuff. And then episode three was like our lovey-dovey beauty and the beast stuff. And today episode four has been kind of the weird bridge that gets us to where the story was really going the whole time. Remember mm -hmm. when I promised you we were going somewhere and we were going somewhere wild and nobody knew where that was because right when that was going to happen, she got sent home instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here now, folks. And uh, yep. now we kind of have to break up our episodes kind of more or less by trial mentalities. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> so that's how we leave you today. <laughs> so that being said, 
we do have two new songs to add to your playlist. Yes. As we told you, we're going to do, a, we're, we're trying to put a playlist together, and these are songs that occurred to us. The very first song we're going to add is Gods and Monsters by Lana Del Rey, and it's right after Feyre agrees to the trials because, well, she's realizing she's dealing with people with godlike powers that are basically monsters, and yep, yep. the hell is she thinking? And the other song is Hold On by Wilson Phillips, and I'm sure everybody who just loves that little 80s ditty is just like, dear God, really, or 90s ditty. It's like late 80s, early 90s. Don't roll your eyes at me, people. I liked Wilson Phillips. They weren't the best, but I did like them. I enjoyed them. And it fits in in two places. The first place is when she's home and she realizes she's really missing Prithian and she misses Tamlin, and she's really just trying to kind of hold on because she feels so out of sorts at home at her family's manor. And then once she gets under the mountain and she sees Tamlin and she's agreed to this, she's decided she's going to do her best to hold on because she wants to be there for Tamlin because she loves him and she's willing to fight for him. So those two songs go to everything else we've already put on our playlist. We have a decent playlist going so far. We do. And like we said, um, if you're listening to this on Spotify, you'll hear these two songs at the end of our uh, episode today. And if you're listening to it on any other platform, you can just go search them on Spotify. Absolutely. So, you know, enjoy and, you know, so and say, if you have suggestions for songs, let us know because I'm always up for hearing a new song to kind of add to this. For sure. And you yeah. can hit us up on all the things, Twitter, Facebook. We'll get to those in a minute. Real quick before we let you go today, I kept promising you we were going to go back and talk about this thing that keeps coming up in these six chapters we went through today. And it has to do with things that happen in later books. So, if you are reading along with us and this is where you are at or you have only completed book one, have a lovely afternoon, evening, morning, run, enjoy your day at work, your car ride, whatever it is you're about to go to. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we will talk with you next episode. If you are further along in your reading journey and this will not be a spoiler for you, hang out with us for like the next two minutes. <laughs> yes. Because we just, okay, here we go. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Okay. We just kind of have to go back for a second because this whole thing, <laughs> this whole thing about her finally like realizing what she's supposed to be doing. And like, remember when she was back with Nesta and she kept thinking about how she was like, at the Thuriel says, stay with the High Lord. And like, now she's here and she's like, okay, gotta fight and do the thing. And like Alice had said, like, if you had just loved him, then, you know. <laughs> None of this. You hadn't been afraid to tell him. We would yeah. be in this problem. Okay, do you realize how much of a load of crap all of this is? <laughs> because it did not, like, Kim and I were talking about this earlier. Okay, the surreal says, stay with the High Lord, which anybody who reads this book is like, right, stay with Tamlin. And then you read the second book right. and you're like, oh my god, that's not what the surreal means. <laughs> She's, oh my god, I was wrong. She's supposed to stay with Reese. My bad. <laughs> but now, reading it again, Kim and I are like, well, it kind of means both. But at the same time, it's still, no matter how you read it, almost can't mean stay with Tam. Because if she did, if she stays with Tam, if she breaks the curse the first time, if she had hung out like Alice said and been like, I love you, it would only break the curse for the spring court. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she has to, she's going to break it for everybody because she didn't stay with Tam. She's a curse breaker. 
So like, it's wild because I feel like the first time you read it, you're like, duh, stay with the High Lord, stay with Pam. And then the second time you read it, you're like, duh, stay with Reese. We like Reese. And then now I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh my God, it's actually all a load of crap. It is definitely stay with Reese, but it's also definitely like, use your brain, girlfriend. Like, do not stay with Pam. Well, but part of it's also stay with Tam, stay with Tam in the beginning because Right. You've got to stay with him to get these feelings going so right. you can break hers. Right. Stay with him long enough to fall in love with him, but don't stay at all costs because otherwise you can't break everything. Right. Which is wild. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So again, you know, this is only for those of you who have not read ahead and don't yeah, know what we're talking about. If you, you know, stick around for the spoiler, about. if you were one of these people who's like, I don't care about spoilers, it's fine. You still have no idea what I'm talking about. You still don't know. So you still got to read book two. So sorry. Yeah, so you still got to keep reading. You. But it's just wild to me how, like, how complicated that surreal message is, the stay with the High Lord, and how complicated even what Alice is saying is, because like I said about Alice, when she gives her two cents about, you know, follow these rules, you know, you know, don't drink the wine, don't trust anybody, don't make any bets, like, Alice doesn't know what she doesn't know. Like, woman is doing her best. But, like, honestly, if Feyre were to listen to Alice any of these times, we'd be toast. (laughs) But not only that, but so here's the thing, and I have to give, you know, I give Sarah J. Mass a lot of credit because, man, she she slides these Easter eggs in here. And you really don't realize it's an Easter egg during the first reading. And so it's like, wow, she's good. Props to, to Sarah J. Mass because she has the the Easter egg thing going. She's got the game on, man. And she 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 does not put things into a story without it being relevant. And I, that takes me back to my little comment about, and of course, if you've read along and you read further, if you've been through book three, then you understand the importance of the three courts and that rebelled against Amarantha and the fact that we have three new high lords because they are very important because of her interactions with Tarquin, Cleus, and Helian. So basically that point. was just us wanting to freak out with some of you who uh, understand where we're at at this point. <laughs> yeah, especially but, if you got through book three at least. because then you're Exactly. Like, oh, but uh, that's where we'll leave you today. Uh, next episode, we will cover the first trial and then some. But in the meantime, you can hang out with us on our website, massivefansbookclub.com, or find us on any of our social media. Facebook is at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fan Podcast, and Pinterest at Massive Fans. So with that. All right. We will leave you and we will talk with you next week. Okay, bye. bye.